Hello and welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm Jess and this is the podcast where I talk about life's toughest topics with lots of different brilliant people. Today's episode is called Let's Talk About Change. I'll be joined by Jonathan Buck, creative genius, originally from Detroit, now living in LA. We'll be diving into an honest conversation about how growth leads to change and how these changes can impact us and either act as an inhibitor or a catalyst in our lives. Jonathan's journey from the medical field to the music industry has been a far cry from a smooth road, demanding constant adaptation and revision, but ultimately sending him down the path that he was destined to be on. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome to Let's Be Honest. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I had a little coffee. I feel energized. It felt nice. You feel good? Yeah. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for being here. We're in this gorgeous house in Calabasas recording this special California episode of the podcast. And I'm so grateful you're here. You know, I've been friends for... 10 minutes. (laughs) How many years has it been now? It's been four years years. since we started filming, right? And a lot of... August of 2015. Yeah. And a lot of life has happened. Four years of friendship doesn't sound like that that much, but you and I have been, you know, through so much together. Yeah, that's true. It's been so... It's been a very dynamic four Mm -hmm. years. It's not like a stagnant, like, you know, everything's been the same and consistent and comfortable, like... Mm -hmm. It has been crazy. I don't know how how cursing goes on this show. Is this a clean show? No, we've had some cursing before, but I mean, I sanction it. It's allowed. It's I been think fucking we- crazy. <laughs> it has been, yeah. It's been a lot of ups and downs, but it also like we're, you know, we're both young, so mm-hmm. this is like such a big change period. Mm-hmm. So four years is like... Yeah. 20 years for me. And interesting you say that because our topic today is change. Yes. And... I don't know if I would say that change is a hard thing for people to talk about, but it's definitely a hard thing for people to process and go through. Mm -hmm. So it is a hard topic to deal with. And you and I have been through so much change. That's why I thought you would be a brilliant person to talk about that with. Thank you. So we're both 20. No, I'm older than you. So I'm 25 and you are 23. Right. So when we met, we were just tiny little baby birds. When I met you, I was 19. Oh my God. And you're so different now. Completely. I've gone through what I call like multiple iOS updates. (laughs) Like, because it really feels like that. I feel like there have been really distinct periods of my life where like I have either upgraded or leveled up or elevated. Like I've had different words for the way that I describe it. But it's been like, very that. Like just like, okay, like if I'm figuring shit out, I'm figuring shit out. And then... And like a large level up and then like mm-hmm. slowly figuring it out, slowly figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And then like another big thing that happened, but like being 19 and like, um, I mean, obviously I don't, I'm not sure how familiar the audience is with Let's us, tell but them how we met, we, we met on the voice mm-hmm. August, 2015. Let's go back to the, the very moment. The very... And it's funny cause I thought about it cause obviously we're in California. So I've, I've just flown in from Atlanta, you know, to film this or to record this and I walked out the same like terminal exit and I was like, this is where I met the first people from the show. You know, I walk by it all the time because we came, I remember it. Yeah. We all came from, you know, different places across the U S and we were all sort of like the first, you know, bundle of people that were going to go on, on the bus up to, you know, universal. And I remember meeting you and I was like, wow. And I remember I, that picture that we have where I'm like, 
laying on your lap and we're just I know laughing. I'm laying on your lap. Oh yeah, I? that's true. You're, I don't remember. You're laying. But I, I, I know that it's in black and white. We're in the van. I remember. And we're laughing. And to me, when I look at that picture, and we just have this such a clear, you know, comfortable and free flowing, you know, energy between us. Like it was like I knew you all along. Yeah. And. I still feel like those are the pictures that we take now. Like nothing, that part's not really changed. Well, you just you took know? a picture of me where you put your finger in my eyeball. So I would, an accident. I would love if, no, it was not an accident. <laughs> Maybe we could do less of that. <laughs> Actually, this is an intervention. Right. Yeah. Stop touching my eyeball <laughs> and asking to take pictures of it. Right. But no, um, for everybody who doesn't know when we, when you arrive, so they fly you out for the voice. Um, and this is for callbacks. This is the process before you go to yeah. the blind auditions. You, uh, get off the, t- the, plane and they they got your ticket and everything like that and there's a person waiting with a sign and they have like a group of like six or six to eight people you all sit there and once you're all there they throw you in a van and uh kidnap you throw you in the middle of the desert <laughs> that's they, not what happens they put you <laughs> they put you in a van and you all drive over there together and they put you in up at a hotel it's like amazing but we called it band cam didn't we yeah we had to yeah because um, nobody's allowed to know that you're there. Mm-hmm. So they'll be like, okay, if anybody asks why you're here, say that you're in band camp. But I didn't do that anyways. Just one time at band camp. <laughs> Everybody was like, really, you're in band camp? And so I would just say I was there for a mayonnaise commercial. <laughs> and no one ever asked me further. like, Because everybody asks follow-up questions when they ask about when you said yeah. band camp. When I said I'm here to film a mayonnaise commercial. <laughs> Nobody wanted to know they're anymore. They're like, okay. And then they leave me alone. <laughs> Um, but no, so, so, you know, this, like the group of people that we were there with were like my first friends and we were all there for the same thing and we connected really well. Do you remember, how many people can you name, do you think, from that group? I know all of them. From our first van group? From the first van group. Uh, it was me, you, Kater, Shane, Emily, and Evan. Right? There were six of us. Evan. Evan Taylor-Jones. Evan was not in our van. Yes, he absolutely was. Nope. A hundred... And million percent he was. I'm going to tell you who's in it right now, and you're going to remember that it, it was not him. It was me, you, Kata Hay, who's a beautiful angel that I love, Shally Fearing. <gasps> Shally, I love you. I'm so sorry. Shally is you. incredible, and her mom is also hilarious. <laughs> Crystal. Alyssa Oliver. No. Yep. Alyssa, uh, Shane, and Emily. And who am I missing? It's funny because at, at every stage in the competition, only one of us from that group left. So she, I do remember that. Shane and Emily didn't make it past, I think, uh, callbacks. Who didn't make it past? Alyssa Oliver didn't make it past blinds. I didn't make it past battles. You didn't make it past knockouts. Kate didn't make it past lives. And then Shalia was the like lone survivor. Yeah. But that was so interesting to have that connection right away with those people. And then obviously you you know you stay that we don't want to give away all, all of the voice secrets. But you know you go for a period of time and you're preparing for the potential of a blind audition, which is you know, vocal lessons and practice with the band and, and getting styled. And it was just, I mean, for us, it, it was, was like everything f- all at most once. fun summer. It was, that's, it was almost like too much all at once because like, I'm a 19 year old kid who's in college to be a doctor and like very much so did this like spur of the moment. Like I told my parents like two days before I left mm-hmm. that I was leaving. I was like, no, I didn't know that. I literally was like, I auditioned in secret. Um, I practiced at my cousin's house who played the piano for me. Mm-hmm. And I like, I literally was like, okay, I'm just going to go like do like a karaoke thing at like a bar or something like that, which even then was like weird to them because they didn't like fully get it. 
and they wanted me to be like super focused on school. So I, in my acapella group, I was in an acapella group in college uh, called Amazing Blue, and they found me. Like the voice reached out to me and was like, "Hey, we saw your stuff. Like, would you like to audition?" And so they set something up, and I went in, and it was like really amazing. But I fully was not expecting to get the call back because of a whole bunch of stuff. But I ran into Michelle McNulty. Like, I almost walked in her in while she was in the bathroom. And I didn't know who she was. I was, like, going in again. They're like, you're about to go on. And I, like, tried to get in the bathroom. And I, like, it was locked. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And this, like, amazing woman comes out with this, like, head fucking bun. And, like, is super cool. She has, and like, mint green shoes on. Director. I didn't know that, though. Yeah. So I, like, I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. She's like, you're fine. And then I go in, and Michelle McNulty is the casting director. And I walk in with my Frozen folder. Is literally a Disney Frozen folder so with all my paperwork. Meet cute with her. And I was literally like, I saw her. She was like, "Hi." I was like, "Oh my god, the casting woman is the person I almost barged in on in the bathroom." <laughs> Great. I was like, "Well, she's gonna write down like, do not let him in. He doesn't knock." And I was like, just being really uh, absurd and ridiculous and like comedic because that's all I know how to do. And I to this day think that that's why I got cast. I don't think I'm, I was good enough as a singer to have made it on otherwise, but. I digress. I got the call back and was completely shocked by it. At every point I get, that I get a call, I'm like, oh, this, this is too good to be true. Like, I'm being catfished. Like, maybe they're just trying to steal my social security number. <laughs> and I told my parents on, like, the Friday. I was like, hey, um, I auditioned for The Voice, and they're going to fly me out to L.A. I leave on Monday. What was their reaction to telling them that? They were like, okay. Because you had done music, obviously been in the acapella group, but you'd played piano and, and done... I played piano, you know, but they all, that before. they all wanted me... Like, my my parents are from Iraq. I'm Chaldean, which is, like, an Iraqi Christian. We're, like, ba- Babylonian in heritage. So we speak Aramaic. It's, like, a very old culture, and there's only, like, two or 300,000 Chaldeans, like, I, I think, like, left in the world. So they, like, the only life that they know is, like, coming here and, like, making lives for themselves and working hard and, like, being educated and stuff. So when I wanted to be an artist, it was, like, kind of weird for them at first to understand that um, as more than just, like, a hobby. And even then, like, I, I think that they wanted me to, like, play tennis or, like, be a golfer or something like that. So but you do love a spot of golf. I do. Love, I love my golf. I totally, like can golf if I need to and just like have a great, proper great yeah. time we should probably put it out there that I'm not phased by the random accent change but there isn't another person in the room audience like <laughs> this is something that Jonathan is very comfortable with so don't I do worry. accents yes characters I'm insane yeah is what you guys need to and know. you're beyond brilliant so don't <laughs> worry it cancels itself out so you'd gone you know from from this really would you describe your home life as rigid um it was definitely it it wasn't like or structured structured yeah Yeah, it wasn't like crippling um it was just uh something that doesn't necessarily nurture creativity as much as it nurtured education right so I remember when I was first taking piano lessons and like I've always had spots of songwriting that were like do you want to talk about the first song you ever played me that you had written which one was that we were facetiming you were baby 19 and it was the song Supergirl. Oh my God, Supergirl. So I... today when we're launching, or when we're recording this podcast, is launch day for Jonathan's new single under his artist name, J-Bark. Yes. And it's an incredible, 
amazingly produced song. And I've got to say, it is a, it is a far cry from Supergirl. From fucking Supergirl, man. Thank you. I feel like I've grown so much. It's just <laughs> Talking like, about change. Speaking of change. That's, that's going definitely from Supergirl to taste. But like, I, I just like, I wanted to write something. I didn't know how to write a song. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've, in the past I had tried writing like a little bit here and there, mm-hmm. but I've always like stopped because I was either embarrassed or like I didn't think it was right or mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff but Supergirl was like about my friend Becca and like how she was going through a hard time and I was like look this is something like I'm inspired by like I'll write a song and mm-hmm. it was like not a good song her mom still asked me to record it Aww. her mom is like I still think Supergirl is a hit my mom does Susie that with, like, my mom's favorite I don't know if it's her favorite still but she always gets you know wants me to record these like really old covers that I used to do that in my mind I'm like mom I've grown out of that I don't want to do that anymore but she loves that song um but, butterfly fly away that okay. my that Hannah Montana did. <laughs> She's always like, please record this for me. And she loves that bubbly song by Colby Calais. Okay. I'm like, Mum, I know her, it's I not know her dad. anymore. Do you really? <laughs> yeah, I do. Whatever happened to Colby Calais? I don't know. She was great. She was. Her dad is nice. Her dad's very tan also, really? which makes sense because she's like golden bronze all the time. Yeah. But uh, no, yeah, I, I remember Supergirl and like I was just talking to Becca about it. My love. I love that that was like one of my first songs. Yeah. But when I was younger, I, I I have like two distinct memories of like trying to write a song, but I was like an easily embarrassed kid. Mm-hmm. And I got made fun of a lot for like being artistic. So I remember like I had a journal. Oh my God. When I was in like second or third grade, Alexa Lucia, it was her birthday. And... Is that the name of your journal or a person? No, that's like uh, a person that I went to grade school with. I've known for like ever. Okay. And it was her birthday and her mom, who's beautiful by the way, Yvette, I love you, um, passed out journals instead of like, you know, like candy or anything like that. Like it was like, you got a cupcake and a journal. And I was like, I just kept it, but I used it like every like few years, I'll like write something in it. Mm -hmm. But I remember writing a song something about an eagle because i love like the church song like on eagle's wings and so i wrote my own song like fly like an eagle or something like that and i didn't know how to write the melody i like didn't know how to how to do anything i just wrote the words down Mm -hmm. and i woke up the next morning and saw it and was like so embarrassed Mm -hmm. and so i ripped it out so there's like a ripped page writer has that song where they're like i thought that was so good and now i just never it's not even i was embarrassed that i was writing a song really yeah like it just like i was like is that because you felt it that part of your creativity wouldn't be accepted Mm -hmm. Mm. it just like was weird to me and it Mm -hmm. was it wasn't something everybody did like that around me like it was just strange so i ripped the the page out and there's still like i see the rip whenever i go back and look at it um for my eagle song and then uh i started taking piano lessons when i was in first grade and i got a new piano teacher when i was in like eighth grade or seventh grade or something like that and i started composing something and I didn't want to practice, like, the regular songs because I was bored of them and, like, mm-hmm. I didn't care about, you know, the, the aria that I was supposed to be learning. So I tried writing my own stuff, but I kept getting in trouble because mm. my parents were like, practice the song you're supposed to practice. And I'm like, I don't want to. I want to, like, mm. make my own. And they're like... That's such a creative thing, though, is, like, not wanting to be conformed or institutionalized, like, you know, wanting to do your own thing. I only recently realized that about yeah. myself. Like, I, I was always like, yeah, I'm, like, newly an artist. Mm-hmm. And my parents are like, you you were never like this. Yeah. But I, I think back and see, like, tiny little mm-hmm. things, like, of me trying to, like come out and be like yeah. hey i'm an it artist it was those four you know first you know cellular experiences for you coming together to you know create that first effect of change you yeah know, you've you've gone through so many changes of you know 
moving, you know, and we'll get to that part of the story of, you know, moving out of Detroit and coming and not going to med school and, and pursuing artistry and, you know, all of these big major shifts. And one of the reasons I thought you would be so brilliant for this topic of change is because I don't know if I know anybody who's gone through so much radical change in such a short period of time as you, Yeah. you know? So obviously we did the show and we had that amazing experience and by the time we were off of it, you know, it was what, you know, February of 2016. I was off in February. I was off in January and you were off in February. I think. Right. And I remember I, we were FaceTiming, you know, and, and I, I threw out the idea of what, why don't we move to LA? Why not? Why not? And I fully laughed at it. You fully laughed at it. You were like, that's crazy. I'm in med school. I could never. Well, I'm not. I wasn't in med school. This is like a disclaimer. Like I'm, oh, I'm supposed you know. to be going to med school. Like I was supposed to be this whole doctor. You're like, on this track was... for it. And I'd been coming out to California um, every year since I'd moved to the U.S. In, in 2012. You know, in the summer, and I was staying with my cousin. You know, down in Manhattan Beach, and and having this like holiday. And I remember before I came to LA for the first time, I had so just fantasized about it and made it into this like incredible I have to go there and it's funny because it is uh, when I came it was everything I wanted it to be it Mm -hmm. of course came with its difficult parts you know the first year I lived here it kicked my ass up and down the first year is always the worst it is crazy how yeah the first year kicks your ass yeah but I remember suggesting that to you um and you did just sort of go like never that Mm -hmm. would never happen and that was a radical, you know, proposal of change that I was suggesting, you know, let's leave our family homes. Let's leave, you know, the idea of going to school and getting a degree. I can't even really remember what I was doing at that time, but yeah. I was just like, let's go. And, you know, we, we looped our friend Jackie into the idea and, and off we went, didn't we? It, and it, it's like, especially for me, was so never, ever, ever a possibility and would have never happened otherwise. Mm. In You're no welcome. way, shape, or form. Yeah, thank you. But, like, it, I just, I had my whole life planned out for me since I was a child, and t- into my 30s. Like, I was fully ready. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this, and by the time I finish my fellowship, like, mm. it'll be this old, and I can take over this practice that my mm. uncle has. And, like, I was just, this, like, the voice was such a fork in the road for me that I literally was like, oh, okay, like, everything I planned doesn't matter. I have no idea what I'm doing anymore. And it was terrifying and mm. so much anxiety. But, like, again full drastic change that I was like you know like what if I go to what LA? were your thoughts about so when you were getting ready to move what were your thoughts about what could happen well here's a, this is the other thing that people don't really understand being on the voice takes you from nobody to a list immediately while you're filming mm-hmm. you have a huge team of people that are surrounding you at any given point Almost everything is paid for you, and you're also making money. Like, you are put into this bubble of celebridum or success almost that, like, people work years to get. Mm-hmm. And so, and you when you leave, months, yeah, yeah, and when you leave it, you don't know what to do mm. to, like, Did get you, back to normal. I felt after I got off the show, I was really depressed. Yeah, fully. I really really crashed and for me it was about exactly like you're talking about that bubble and I'd always I had always thought always said that "Mm, I don't think I want to do that whole like American Idol the voice thing you know I want to do my 10,000 hours and sort of like quote unquote be you know discovered the real way which Mm -hmm. is you know 
not disrespectful to those shows, but... And I remember I happened to be on holiday here when, like your story, Michelle McNaughty reached out to me and said, you know, we've seen your YouTube videos because um, somebody had, without me knowing, sent them in. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought, well, okay, I'm here. I might as well just, what's the worst that could happen? I might as well just, you know, do the audition. And I, you know, got that, got that call back. And and I had that same experience as you of, of, you know, just being thrown into this, world that people only imagine and you know it's, it's obviously a world of real privilege in that bubble because you don't really have to do anything you just show you have to up do and anything you they drive you everywhere mm. you're also on a high we're all working like we're working with pharrell williams like it's Diddy, easy to Miley just Cyrus, yeah adam levine easy to just like be blinded by mm. that and then like and get so used to it did you notice or did you feel this because i did i got used to it really fast yeah and then it when was, i went home i was like oop I don't like this. Yep. I got used to it really, really fast. And I felt a really strong connection with with my coach, Pharrell. And I ended up, you know, with nothing to do with the voice, um, connecting with him again after the show. And Mm -hmm. it was this really cool interaction. And it was really awesome. It was like a full circle, you know, universe moment. And I got used to that whole, oh, I'm a singer and I'm coming to do my vocal lesson. And as you said, that high. And then when... I didn't make it past, you know, that round. And it's weird. It was like the shame and embarrassment of like, oh, I've let myself down. And does this mean I'm not good enough? But that crash of having to go back to your real life. And mm-hmm. it, I really struggled with it. That change was monumental for me. And like everybody back home had such high expectations mm. for me too. Like they were like, oh, I know you're going to do so well. And like you're like probably gonna do this this and that and like it's pressure isn't it it was so much and i was like the whole time i knew what actually happened and i was like afraid that everybody was gonna think it was lame and it was like a whole thing which also by the way just in general people are almost never thinking what you think they're thinking Mm -hmm. everybody still just thinks it's cool that i was on it in general yeah it's like no one's looking at you as much as you think they are because they're looking at themselves and like all of the especially like the chaldean people like were so excited Mm. to see a chaldean person on tv i was on the cover of the chaldean news like people took pictures with me it was so dope to like represent my culture but i was like you know i was expecting to like go back home and like have this whole thing and like get booked and like blow up mm-hmm. because I was like you know I don't know how this stuff works like I'm a a, a school kid mm-hmm. like a student who like works in hospitals and technician as pharmacy technician and like a phlebotomist and like does all this stuff so like I was like oh I'm like you know I'm a celebrity now mm-hmm. but honestly like a big reason that that I that I was able to, like, move to L.A. and, like, believe in myself for, like, the 10 seconds that I did before, like, coming out here and getting another taste of, like, reality and beginning the next process of Mm. change was, like, hearing, like, huge celebrities, like, talk about me as an artist and what they thought of my music. And when I got, um, when I got eliminated, you know, like, they're just like, okay, well, go say goodbye to your coach. Pharrell, like, stopped everybody and he was like, stop, 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 stop. And they were like, what and he was like I just want to say like I know that you you know like I wish I could save everybody on my team and it sucks you have to go home but like please just like don't stop he was like you improved so quickly Mm -hmm. and like I just see so much more for you and I think also Pharrell knew I wasn't ready like I wasn't like a person who had been an artist 
for a long time. I mean, I guess I've always been an artist, but like, I didn't know what I was doing. Like I got pulled out of, of something like this was all so new to me. And I think he could tell, but he was like, just don't stop. And I was like, and Christina Aguilera was so incredible. Christina Aguilera, let me tell you, I will never say a bad thing about because she always had my back forever. Me too. It's so funny. I went into the show going, oh, she seems like a bit of a diva. And then when I was at my blind audition and I got, you know, everybody but Blake and the coaches that season were, you know, Blake and Adam and Christina Aguilera and Pharrell Williams. Yeah. And I, I got everybody but Blake. Um, and I remember I'd gone in, I actually thought I was going to pick Adam. I thought, oh, I've been a Marine 5 fan forever. You know, he plays guitar, I play guitar, that's really cool. And I knew I liked Frau and I thought, mm, you know, Christina, yeah, she's an amazing singer, I could learn from her, but I just didn't maybe, like, feel the connection. Mm-hmm. But she was the most, like, gung-ho for me. Yeah. After, you know, when I did my blind, she was just, like, so complimentary and just so... Um, like you said, having having somebody's back, she just like really vouches for singers. She literally like I remember during my battle, like Adam and Blake were not feeling me, which I like I tell people and people are like shocked by that. They're like, "What? They didn't like you?" Like Blake said that I was too theatrical. He's like, "It's a little too Broadway for me," and I was like, "How dare you, Blake?" <laughs> um, Adam, Blake wasn't my biggest fan either. Yeah, Blake did not like me, and Adam was like, "Meh," about me. Um, but Christina literally was like, I think both of them are wrong. Mm. She's like, I think that you performed. She's like, you showed up. She blah, 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 blah. She's like, don't listen to them. You killed it. I would pick you. I was like, oh, Christina. So I was like, she was always like had my back. But just like to hear mm. all of that and. From somebody you. From you someone I know. Like I've known the music of forever, mm-hmm. you know that I'm like, oh, this is like a real industry person. And to hear Pharrell ask me not to stop. And like, I I didn't have my parents on my blind audition. I brought my two best friends. Did you do that out of choice? Yeah. I like, I just didn't know if they wanted me there. And I knew that them being there, we had to kind of like, been a little rocky at that point in my life. And I wanted to just focus on the music. Mm -hmm. And I, I did, so I didn't ask them to come. But they came for my battle. And them being there getting to see me perform like that because they've only ever seen me in like my school musical and having them hear Mm -hmm. what the coaches say having them see me perform having them like watch me do this thing that to them was like so foreign and so like prestigious still like it was like a real production fully changed them and their view of me as an artist also Mm -hmm. so when I told them I wanted to move. They were like, honestly, Jonathan, like, yeah. They were like, do it. I, so I, they were supportive. Yeah, because they were like, we. I want to see how you do, like, outside of a TV show. Mm. Because they, I mean, obviously they're my parents. And I, I love Emily Keener, who's a person that I battled. But, you know, my parents are going to rally for me. They were like, they were like, yeah, just like. We, I thought you did so good and like you like I, I thought you should have moved on and stuff and I think Emily is is absolutely perfect and like she did great I would have loved for both of us to move on sure for I'll take her I thought Christina was gonna take me because mm. she's the love of my life but I digress <laughs> um so they were like we want to see like how you do like outside of this mm-hmm. like and just really like in the industry like go for it yeah how did you deal with your um anxieties and insecurities about all of this change that was you know 
happening and obviously it was your choice there's change in life that's thrust upon you mm-hmm. things that you know you can't control um and then there's choices that we make to go in a different direction how did you personally get through your anxieties and insecurities about moving to LA and pursuing this different route it's hard because whenever you're dealing with something like this my technique is to just like full dive into whatever you're you're doing whatever scares you I also have OCD and it was a lot worse when I was younger but I knew I didn't want it and I was always kind of like you didn't want the OCD yeah I was like I don't want this I don't like this I don't like that you know every time I touch my eyelash I have to touch my other eyelash every time I drive by a car that's too high I have to like angle my head so that it hits the low part of my ear like it was mm-hmm. like it's a lot I really um, resonate with that because I have OCD as well and I researched into it a lot and um, for anybody listening who has OCD I cannot recommend Brain Lock enough it's this book by this incredible psychiatrist and it I mine is more of the obsessive mm-hmm. like I can't, my mind you know goes on a track and can't stop and intrusive thoughts that kind of thing I'm not like you know the the alphabetizing or the or the more compulsion side yeah, of things um, and so I really really get that that is so difficult to deal with I personally felt like I was losing my mind when it was like at the height of, yeah, you know, I like cried. of my disorder it's, it's really 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 heavy and you know that goes on to you know just people needing to be more aware of, of mental health issues and taking it as seriously as, as physical ailments too um, but, but it taught me so much about like about how to deal with mm-hmm. things that make you uncomfortable. Did you feel like that flared up when you had a big change? Because like, I think a lot of people, when they're going through a big change, whether it's moving or divorce or marriage or any sort of change to your identity, and I think a lot of people wrap where they live, what they do, who they're with, what they look like up in their identity. Mm-hmm. So when any of those things change, um, I think people who have, whether it's OCD or anxiety or depression, um, those things can flare up. Did you feel like that happened for you? I would say so. My it flares up all the time because mm-hmm. I'm. All, I feel like I'm constantly changing. Mm-hmm. But the reason that I it's such a it's such a tool for me is that like ever since I was young, I was constantly like challenging myself. Mm-hmm. Like if I want if I had a compulsion to like what I called even myself out. Like if somebody touched one side of me, I had to touch the other side in the same place. Mm-hmm. Is that I would be like, all right, wait five seconds mm-hmm. and then do it and then wait 10 seconds and then do it or like see how long you can go Mm -hmm. just like constantly challenging myself so I'm very comfortable with like not I'm not a person that's complacent with something that's happening to me I don't like it so when I go through any change I kind of do the same kind of practice like I was so stressed out and so depressed from being off of the show and like so scared to move to LA and you just have to like fully live in that you can't like divert your Mm -hmm. attention because you got to be stressed out for a while Mm -hmm. you have to like sit in it to make it in LA uh, mm -hmm. you have to I remember moving and as I said earlier like just it was so hard like to try and find a good job and I was you know driving for Lyft and and delivering food for Postmates and nannying and babysitting where I could and just sort of piecing this life together just to you know survive Mm -hmm. and we moved out with our friend Jackie and I think the three of us 
I would say are very different people. Yeah. Um, similar in a lot of ways. We're all creatives. You know, we all are very liberal and open-minded, but just who we are in our internal sort of um, cogs are quite different. So to me, going from living one way, you know, in my family home, or then when I first moved to England, living excuse me moving to america living on my own i could have things the way i wanted mm-hmm. and then having to integrate with new people because that was my first experience of having roommates outside of like living with my family yeah that was really tough for me and to not have um you know not have the right to change people like and not just say well i like it this way so you've got to change how you like how you do it but making space and and making room for other people and how they're different that was a really big change and coming out and just just tiny things that I think maybe we don't recognize how much all the tiny things and all the tiny changes add up to one big maybe disorientating experience Mm -hmm. like tiny stuff like coming from you know England to the south that was one big change but then coming from the south where it's really humid and generally there's one way of thinking of of it being more you know red states and republican and Mm -hmm. you know very typical you know of being the south in a lot of ways and then moving to california that's a really liberal blue state with palm trees and no humidity and the beach and just all of those things which are seem seem like lovely changes and you know a lot of them were um which is why we stayed for so long but then it was moving in and having to get a new car it was it was adulting yeah it was getting that's the other thing it throws you into adulthood oh gosh and and also like you walk out of the voice with like acute amount of money so i'm like oh i can live off this forever Mm -hmm. and then a few months later you have no job you're running through your savings. Things are way more expensive than you could ever imagine. Things aren't coming to you like we thought we like would. you thought. I was like, oh, I'm gonna get an audition. I had a, an open call audition for like High School Musical eight or whatever, like the next <laughs> one. And I was like, oh, this is it. This is gonna be what I get. I'm gonna like, be the I'm next Troy Bolton. Yeah, I was like, it was a whole thing, and it didn't work out. And there's like the more and more stuff that didn't happen, the more and more I felt like I was disappointing everybody back home, mm. and I was like. I, I, t- I was like, just give me a year. Could you imagine that I would I would figure it out in a year? I was like, give me a year. And then, I just felt like I was starting to breathe after a year. A year was like the, how long it took me to like function mm. and like figure out what's I happening. I remember somebody told me before I moved, they said, well, you know, just be prepared that LA is a one to two year town. Or maybe they had said two to three year town. And I was like, what do you mean? And they said, well, it takes most people that amount of time to even begin to really function like Mm -hmm. get their network get a good job and they were so right because about two years you obviously still live here I moved away after you know three years of living here about two years I was like "Mm." I looked around at my life and I thought okay well I've, I've got my really solid friendship group and my network I had a really great job you know, I had my life. Mm-hmm. I knew the city like the back of my hand. Thanks to driving for lift, I didn't have to use a map. It really felt like my home. And I remember that that moment of the switch going, oh, wow, they were right. It, it did take about two years. But gosh, th- those first two years of having to integrate into this new life, and as you said, just really make it, mm-hmm. uh, make it happen, and not wanting to sort of walk home with my tail between my legs so to speak of well I didn't make it I was determined I said to myself I'm not uh, this is not going to be a failure mm-hmm. and I've always been a very ambitious person 
I've always traveled and, and been good at making a new situation work for me and feel like home and all of that stuff. But it was very, you know, um, altering just like, whoa, my family's not around me. I don't have those comforts. It's sort of just been like, okay, off into the world you go, like make it happen. And Mm -hmm. really having to scrap to to do that it mm-hmm. was difficult yeah I, i'd say it took me about a year because i got kind of like a kick in the ass mm-hmm. um i have a cousin i have a lot of cousins as a middle eastern person i have like a hundred cousins but i had a cousin named tommy who did something similar to what i did when he was around my age he like left michigan and like came to california and like learned to surf and do business and now is like this super successful businessman and so when he heard that I was I was living out here, he came to visit me after like six months. And he like took me out to dinner, he took me to Soho House, and he was like, Hey, so like, what have you been up to? And I was like, Oh, well, like, um, I had this audition and like, you know, I'm working I wrote a song and I'm thinking about taking a class and whatever, you know, like make like having me explain to him what I did um while I've been out here. And to me, I hadn't really thought about it. I was like, something will happen, you know? Mm. Um, and I was stressed out every day. So I didn't, and I didn't know what I should be doing. And he literally sat me down and he was like, cool, cool. So basically what you're saying is you've probably done about 1% of the things that you could have done when you're here. You haven't really accomplished very much. Wow. I was like, whoa. Tough love. And he was like, which is fine. He was like, if you want to like come out here and say that you spent a year in LA gave it a shot and then moved back. He's like, that's totally cool if that's what you're trying to do. But, you know, don't act like you're busting your ass working because you're not. He's like, you had an audition, you've written one song on a voice memo and, you know, you haven't started taking this class that you suppose you might do well. And I was like, yeah, but like, um, I mean, I guess that's true, but like, you know, I don't know if I want to be an actor or a writer or an artist or whatever. And he was like, listen, he was like, you need to focus on one, maybe two things and just get really good at those. Mm, master your craft. Yeah. He was like, don't be good at everything, but like a master of nothing. He's like, the mm-hmm. rest of the stuff will come, but it doesn't make sense for you. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you need to be hustling. He's like, you should be working every day. Like it's a work day. So that way when people are like, what are you doing? Even if you don't have anything in the works, or anything that's popping off, you can be like, I work this many hours every day perfecting my craft, doing this. Like, no one would be able to tell me that I'm lazy. Right. And that was what really helped me work through my anxiety was that I was like, well, at least I'm being productive. I don't know where I should be going. I don't know what shows I should be doing. I don't know who I should be meeting. I don't know anything. But, like, I'm going to bust my ass and work. Yeah. So that way I at least feel good about what I'm doing on my part. Mm-hmm. And that's in general working through change, like, first of all, just like familiarizing myself and like being okay with it, like being like, okay, like, you know, like I remember when I, when I was on the show and like moved and decided to move out here and stuff like that, like I had to real quick realize like nobody's going to come to me with songs. Mm. What did you think you were going to do when you came out here? Did you know you wanted to be a writer or you weren't no. sure? I, I like started writing and I got really frustrated with it after Blinds because everybody else had original music except for me. Mm. That's what it felt like. And so I was like, fuck, like I got to start writing and figuring my, my, my craft out. Like nobody's going to respect me if I'm just a singer and I'm not even that good of a singer. These are like thoughts I actually had. And I was like, nobody's going to think anything of me, you know? So I, I was like, I have to start writing. 
that's my those my my immediate the the root of all my anxiety is when I don't have an answer. Mm. If I have an answer, or well, if I can at least isn't it? exactly, but the the key to if we knew the answers, there'd be no point in life. Because the point, and don't sound cliche, but the point of life is the journey. It's not, you know, if we were all born with this manual, what would be the point in anything? Yeah. Because life is figuring things out. And I think that when you come to a place in your life where you're experiencing major change, if you are open to it and you roll with the punches and you make it work, that is when you grow. And to me, the point of life is is growth. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think that there's this utopia of like, awakening that everybody gets to like it's the same pool that everybody you know goes to drink from i think everyone's on their own journey Mm -hmm. um but without change and without friction you know there's no growth and what's the point if you're not growing so therefore i would say change is a good thing change is amazing i love the person that i am today and i think if i met myself five six seven years ago the person that i was would be obsessed with me they'd be like this is how i turn out Mm. because i was socially awkward i was bullied severely i was an extrovert trapped in like an introverted situation Mm. because i was afraid of like people you know being mean to me and like saying stuff about me and whatever and it took literally years even in high school of me like slowly and slowly and slowly doing things that scared me like Mm. talking to a kid that i thought would you know, call me a faggot or befriending an athlete that I thought, you know, would think I was a a theater loser, you know, and then like building up to finding a good friend group, like being confident in myself, like in who I am and like my worth as a person, Mm -hmm. you know, because a lot of times like when I'm like the the very first like update, I would say that I, I call it, it was like in high school. I was a freshman in high school and obviously you know me, I'm like a very fun, like outgoing, like I love making people laugh. But my first year of high school was terrible because really? everyone was super mean to me. Mm, they were all kids. That. Like it was like an all boys school. It was just like horrible. Mm. And I didn't know how to cope with it. So I was also like not being myself. I was being like really rigid and quiet and, mm-hmm. and protective. Yeah. Yeah. And it took, it was, it's so crazy to think about this. So my best friend, Peter, is my cousin. And he died in March of my freshman year. And I remember him telling me, he was a couple years older than me, that his junior year, because he was similar to me, he was like very introverted his freshman year. And his junior year, he would like, just like, he was like this ball of light. And like, was so confident in himself and... And everybody noticed it and loved it. And he was always smiling and like happy. And like his whole school when he died, like mourned him. And it was Mm -hmm. so cool to see because I knew him forever. So, and you know, we were like the closest of anyone. So seeing the way that they reacted to him, I was like, oh, like he, Mm -hmm. this is the life that I need to have now, especially now that he's gone. Yeah. How much do you think Peter's death has affected you as a person? Fully, a 100%. I would not be the person I am, have the life that I have, do anything that I do if he did not die exactly when he did, which is so crazy to me because like, I mean, I miss him more than anything and I still talk to him like in the car as if he's sitting next to me, but like, Mm. well, that made me quite emotional. I just choked up there. It it just like takes me just knowing you, how well I know you, like I know how much that, you know, 
affected you. Yeah, man. But it's it's funny because like when he died, everyone, even the people that were horrible to me, like came up and talked to me about it mm. and asked how I was and said that they were sorry. And it was in the middle of like a really a really tough time where like two kids got like suspended because they were bullying me and people were were bullying me for getting those two kids suspended. Mm. And it was literally what were the they worst. You about? They were just like calling me names and like being awful. And I was like in the counselor's office all the time, like just really harassing. You. Yeah, and so like I and there were other Keldean kids, and we were young, you know, we were like kids. And so like I went to the counselor's office. The kids got suspended, and everybody knew why, and were being really awful to me about like, hey, like John, what happened? Why are these kids not in school? I wonder why. Mm. And so I was like, it sucked. But when, when Peter died, he died like the day that they came back. So it was like they got suspended on a Wednesday and they came back on a Thursday and I was going to have to see them in my Spanish class. They suspended for them for one day? Mm-hmm. Ugh. But like they came back on a Thursday and it was my fourth hour and I had a meeting with my counselor at fifth hour, but I had to see them first. Like I was going to, I was walking to my Spanish class like dreading completely Mm. dreading having to see these people and whether they're going to say something to me or not and I had such a similar experience in high school yeah Mm. it just like it's so terrifying it's horrible that that you just that fear you love I felt like a swallowed fear you know Mm -hmm. just that terror of my god what are they gonna do are they gonna and I was like physically assaulted when I was in, in like I guess what Americans would call middle school by the, this group of girls who just, you know, it's that typical story of just when they turned on you, like I got hit in the face and just like we had this school email at mm-hmm. the time. And I remember they were just sending me like horrific, horrible, horrible pictures. And I remember like my mum and dad had to come in. I think they did get suspended too, but I, I really resonate with that feeling yeah. of just like crapping your pants walking. And it's like, hall. I didn't do anything. Like, why am I so scared? Mm. But I was I walking they, to the class mm. I was walking to the class and I was about to go in and I get a call that's like, Jonathan Bach to the office, please. Jonathan Bach immediately to the office. And I was like, oh, maybe like the, the counselor realized that like, you know, our meeting is set for after my Spanish class. Like maybe she wanted to do it before just to talk to me and like ask if I'm okay um, before I go see these two kids that I just got suspended. And she's like, I just want to say like, you're a really great kid and whatever. I was like, Okay. And so I walk I out and she takes me and my dad is standing in the, in the oh. lobby and tells me that Peter passed away in his sleep and he wanted to tell me before it got on the news. And it was literally like, Jessica, come on. Like the moment before I'm about to go face my bullies after getting them suspended is the second that like I found out that he's gone. Mm. And it was wild instantly like very instant change right there everybody was nice to me oh everybody yep everybody felt bad everybody like gave me a second chance because it was everywhere everybody knew about the story everybody like mourned his loss like he was a great kid and people loved him and i like got a new a restart because of it Mm -hmm. that i would have never gotten otherwise because i was like also like i was like annoying like i was I would not have been friends with myself prior to this happening had I only known what I knew about myself in school. So like getting getting that restart uh, has changed my whole life and I would be completely and vastly and entirely different. Wow. Had it not happened that wow. way. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, we touched on, on bullying that 
don't you think that people who bully other people and do not be fooled bullying happens in adulthood happens in the workplace it happens in relationships it happens within friendships every and obviously we know that bullies are all insecure right but it happens when it's sort of like that light versus dark you know like the insecurity which you know let's call the darkness in somebody they don't like the light in somebody else you know as evolved adults as we are obviously still on our journey you know we have the growth to say, okay, well, that person's dying. I don't like them. You need to move away. Don't interact. But when you've got that really tangled up, insecure darkness inside of you, light is really bothersome. Mm-hmm. When you haven't dealt with that internally, um, light is bothersome to darkness. It does not like, they don't like each other. Um, so I think for me, I think that's where a lot of stuff like that comes from. You know, you, you are, you know, obviously outside of this podcast you are my you know best friend and my brother and I know I see the light in you and how fantastic you are you are mad as a chair <laughs> but all geniuses are as mad as a chair and you you are a genius you oh know you are you are a composer you're a writer you're a comedian you're just you know you could do I always say you could do anything Thank but you. that people don't like that light yeah. when they have not dealt with the darkness inside of themselves, which we all have, you know, we all have the ability to, you know, do wrong and, and do right. But when you haven't dealt with the darkness internally of processing what it is, where it comes from, maybe you're getting bullied at home, whatever it is that's, you know, causing it. When you see light in somebody else, it's, it's bothersome. Yeah. And, and I think that's the same thing for jealousy, you know, s- when when you're jealous of somebody else even though they're standing in their own light you know the person that they're jealous of doing their thing they're in the right place at the right time they're pursuing their purpose you know just because you're not mm-hmm. you can get jealous of that person and it wouldn't it be so wonderful if we could all just stand in our own light and be happy for other people that's the one thing that the main thing that I took away from Peter passing away and that that I always use when I'm dealing with you know, big transitions in my life is that like he worked on himself so much mm. to get to the place where he, he too was like, this is like the best year of my life is wow. what he told me like a few months before he died. Yeah. He was like, this is the best year of my life. I'm just so happy. And like, I'm, I'm like doing what I want to do. He's like, I'm having fun. Like, you know, like I'm confident. And so I'm always working on myself and I can mm. only work on myself. You are quite into your self-development, aren't you? Yeah, I do you have see you to be. Evolving. You have to be because that's how that's how you deal with change. No, you can mm-hmm. control nothing externally, and if you do, then then it's you're just going to feel like your efforts are yeah. worthless, and they're not going to get the results that you do that you want. As opposed to if you work on yourself, like you're in full control of yourself. Yeah. And anxiety to me, anxiety is just the fear that a situation will arise that you can't handle. Mm. So if you're confident in yourself and your ability to adapt and your ability to find to problem solve, then your anxiety will lessen and lessen and lessen. And anxiety is as a senseless thing, which I very quickly realized. It actually took me a while, but looking back, it makes so much sense. To the point where it's something that requires uh, trial and error and trial and success, mm-hmm. mostly trial and success, because. I can't think of very many times when I was posed with a situation that I didn't handle at least at least regularly. Like right. I there have been very situ- few situations that I like, oh okay, like I really messed up. Oh, I've handled a face. lot. Yeah. 
And when my anxiety is trying to be like, well, what if this happens? And blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's trying to scare me mm-hmm. and trying to make me like dread what's about to happen. I can at least like combat it with reason and be like, but I did this. Mm-hmm. And remember when this happened and I did yeah. and I responded in this way, I have no reason to feel that way. And mm-hmm. if, you th- if you're in- introspective, mm-hmm. introspective one, two, constantly challenging yourself and making like little gains and little wins to the point where, where – Anything that could come up is just another challenge that you're used to to facing, mm-hmm. as opposed to somebody who doesn't constantly challenge themselves and only faces like, you know, a few challenges along their road because mm-hmm. they're they're staying in their comfort zone. You know, a bump in the road is like a huge event to someone like that. Yeah. But like, to someone like me who's always trying to go out of my way to like do shit that scares me, mm-hmm. a bump in the road is like pretty much the whole road. Yeah. Do you have anxieties about the future? Not as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'll just figure it out, which is how I have to feel, because otherwise I would just uh, cry in a corner all day. What do you think is going to be either the next big change or a big change that's coming down the road for you that hasn't happened yet? How do you think your life's going to evolve from here? Because you've obviously gone from point A and you know moving to LA was point B now you're at point C what do you think the next big thing is gonna be see I feel like I'm at point like H Mm -hmm. I've done so many like I a big thing for me was dyeing my hair Mm. that was like a big shift tell everyone what you went from to I went from my regular ass long brown hair to like platinum blonde (laughs) hair which I just did too I'm blonde right now now but like that was a really big step for me um just like because nobody wanted me to do it. My family didn't want me to do it. Rebellious. Like I faced a lot of flack for it. I felt mm-hmm. really bad about myself and really ugly for a while because my mom hated it. And my grandma told me that she Your thought I looked Your mom definitely awful. tells you when she yeah, feels my, something. Yeah, my mom told me I looked like a cancer patient. But <gasps> I digress. Are you serious? It was just like when my mom, when like my family, there, there's no filter. Wow. There, she's going to get pissed at me for saying that. But like I just felt so ugly and that's awful and like it took me just like being really happy with myself because I knew I liked it I was like I like it I look so I feel like I look so good do you think change happens quicker or more quickly if you have resistance from other people do you think it makes you fight more or did I mean maybe that's advanced change that your first few few sets of change have to be fully supported Mm. and then you have to slowly introduce resistance yeah because otherwise you're not gonna you're not gonna fight back you've never had to but then there's so many stories of people that we know and look up to that said well you know I started with nothing and nobody because I moved from you know Ohio to LA with $50 in my pocket and everyone said you know my dream would 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 fail and now you know that Brad Pitt or whatever so that's that's very true actually a big thing that motivated me to keep working is that when my family asked me what I was doing out here I wanted to be able to be like look I'm working like I'm not wasting time like I'm I'm hustling and that's the thing I love about I mean I mean you know a thing that I really appreciate hearing is when my friends are like you are just always doing something I'm like thank you You I'm glad that you see that I'm like mm. I'm actually like trying to bust my ass so yeah. that way even if I don't make it I could be like yo I was booked yeah I was booked and it still didn't happen I guess that's um a good thing to point out is that you, you know you, we all know you can't please everybody and you'll never make everyone happy and everyone has some sort of resistance obviously some people have more support than others mm-hmm. 
but I guess that that resistance itself it it depends on you as a person how you're going to use it are you going to let it be a weight on you and go well no one believes me or you know I didn't have the support so I'm just not going to do it and give up Mm -hmm. or are you going to use it as a motivating factor for I'm going to prove them wrong I'm going to use it as you know um a push in the direction that I want to go because you're always going to have some sort of resistance you know whatever it is definitely it's also a really a really powerful thing when you're comfortable with yourself and you're comfortable with change and all that stuff you end up pulling other people into your change Mm. and yeah that's such a wonderful thing yeah my my family has been very willing and incredible in the in their openness to understanding me and like trying to know what what the music business is like mm. and what this means like if I, I showed them I was like yo I'm serious about this you guys like I'm not this isn't a hobby anymore like I'm I'm here mm-hmm. I moved I'm writing music like I'm going for it and you, so my mom was like you don't like, have that insurance policy anymore yeah my mom was like okay well then okay how does it work I was like what do you mean how does it work yeah, they really didn't know anything yeah my mom my mom was like just genuinely asking to know mm. Which is so cool that for is like really cool. a a you know a pharmacist whose only life that she's known is education and immigration and and stuff like that to like be open to me being a creative person and like it was tough. Mm. My grandma like sometimes gets upset when I talk about like my journey with my family because she like is afraid that people are gonna think that we're these like rigid awful people. But like I told her I was like Nana like. I think it's even more incredible that our story is of growth together mm-hmm. of like my family being apprehensive mm-hmm. and wanting me to have something safe and like yeah. not really understanding what I want and what I do and mm-hmm. but look openness. at also the gen- you know the generational change you know your grandparents were one way and then your parents were more progressive than them and then you're more progressive than your parents and your kids will be more progressive than yeah. you hopefully you know and it's so cool and, and I explained to her I was like I want everybody to see that like you can come from a house like this and and make waves mm-hmm. and like go and so I don't know it's just like you know pulling other people into change with you mm-hmm. is something that you can do that betters everybody yeah when you're a beacon of light you can light up the whole room and affect you know many many people and it makes it just it makes you so confident mm. And the confidence is the thing that I benefit the most from now. Yeah. Because I used to have none. What do you think, out of everything you've been through, and I know at the beginning we talked about like all these little little changes that add up, you know, to this big, big alteration in your life from dyeing your hair or moving to LA, or what do you think that has been the most pivotal change and monumental change for you in your life so Pharrell far? Pharrell Williams. Pharrell, Pharrell actualized like everything that I learned from when Peter died Mm. so like coming in to my freshman year losing my best friend during the lowest period of my life and having to work on myself internally working on on you know being the person I know I am but being comfortable enough Mm -hmm. to show that to my school to Mm -hmm. my friends to like be outgoing and fun and funny and then to be able to do that on a national stage where literally had this person not turned around for me, I would have never made it. Mm-hmm. I would have never gone forward. I would have never believed in myself. I would have never had these experiences. My family would have never seen it. And like I wouldn't have been able to 
do what I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm. You know, like I was already on my way to becoming the person I wanted to be. And I needed to be where I was right when I met Pharrell to level up into the person I am now, Mm. who's very happy with themselves, who's very happy with their art, who's very happy with the way things are and the way things will be and the way things are going. Mm. My next question was, was going to be right now in this moment, after everything you've been through and everything you're looking forward to, do you feel happy with who you are and where you are? Yes, fully. I'm releasing music. Finally, I'm making stuff that I'm excited about that other people are excited about that people are just enjoying. People are, are reaching out to me from my past. I, I haven't heard from in years that are just like so excited for me. And it's so cool like getting to see them now and them getting to see who I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so cool, you know, like people are just so impressed by it. And it's funny because they don't know all of the low, 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 low times that it took for me to get there. The struggle, yeah. The struggle, the struggle, the struggle and the doubt and everything like that. But like at this point I'm like, you know, everything that all my worst fears have happened. Mm. Isn't that so all my worst relieving have when you're, you're like, so now oh, I'm like, okay. it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, okay, what else is there to do? Mm. You know, like, yeah. let's move. Like, let's make some yeah. moves. Like, I'm ready to tackle whatever I, I need mm. to do. And just like, you know, figure it out. Yeah. I like how you said, um, you know, you talked about when wh- where you were and who you were when, when Peter died and then where you were and who you were when you met Pharrell and where you were and who you were when you moved to LA, all these things. And to me, that speaks about how the universe really gives us what we need when when we're at that place and it doesn't give us what, we, what we're not ready for. I fully. You know? I was not ready for all of the stuff that I'm doing right yeah. now had I not gone in the exact path yeah. that I had. I love um, the book, The Alchemist. Yeah. And that's actually one of the things that Frel and I connected over. Um, and for those you know who haven't read it or don't know the story, it's, it's basically the journey of, of this young boy going um, on a journey of his destiny. And I won't spoil it because it's amazing. You should absolutely read it. But the, the, the premise of the book is that the universe will rise to meet you when you're pursuing your purpose Mm -hmm. so literally in this life all you have to do is have a desire in your heart that doesn't take away like you know the need for hard work and you know dedication and all of those things of course those things are important but when you just have the need in your heart actually what's more powerful than hustling is the first time you say okay I'm open to it and in that moment your blessings come rushing in and the universe rises up to meet you to give you what you need at that time and guide you on to the next thing and for me something I love doing in life and of course you can't do it looking forward but you can always look back and go wow if I hadn't gone to that dinner I wouldn't have met that person that led me to this opportunity mm-hmm. you know uh, that led me to x y and, and z you know it, it to me that is so fascinating about looking backwards and seeing how you got to where you are and how all those changes that added up made you the person you are today i would i fully agree i would say to any person that's doubting that needs advice that doesn't know what to do this is my this is my spiel this is my advice no one is thinking what you're afraid they're thinking of you and even if they are it's not your business you have to live your life regardless of the what you're afraid of regardless of what you think other people are going to perceive you are on a journey and 
there are going to be a lot of people that meet you in between, you know, where you are and where you need to be. And that's fine. I remember, like, always wanting to, like, be together and, like, have my shit together. But, like, I'm in transition, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, it took me years to be this person. And some people have to see that I was weird and that I was kind of too much for a little part of it and that I was kind of not enough for a little part of it. Like, you need to just ascend. Oh, my God, what a hippie word. You need to just, like, (laughs) like, level up at your own rate regardless of what's going on around you. And you need to just realize that, like, you, you can't let things get to you. You have to vote for you. Yeah, you cannot. Like, you just have to be so in your own space that you're unfazed, you know? Because I remember there were things that bothered me that still bother me that don't matter. And they they hung me up for so long. I You just need to keep moving, keep working, be able to, like, have a goal in mind and actively work towards mm-hmm. it. And you'll feel so so productive that your anxiety will will lessen and lessen and lessen because you're making progress and realize that you have one life to live and you don't want to look back when you're 80 and go well I I lived for somebody else or I lived doing what somebody else wanted me to do and I missed out on expressing you know the beautiful beautiful person that I am right because everybody I believe has a purpose and everybody has there's room for everyone yeah there's opportunity even you Brenda there's room for you (laughs) there's opportunity and room for everyone to stand in their own light and shine because everyone has their own purpose you know it's it's no two people are the same surround yourself with people that feel that way yeah surround yourself with people that tribe bring that up or is it the other way around your vibe attracts your tribe maybe it's both maybe it goes both ways i guess it does because if your vibes off your tribe will leave true Wow. Thank you so, so much for coming on. Let's be honest. Are we done? This has been amazing. We've come to an hour. Oh my God. I know. Didn't that go really fast? It did. Well, you've been amazing. I think this was a gorgeously beautiful conversation. Uh, to me, it was really inspiring and it was just so lovely to hear your story all over again. Yeah. Thank you. It's funny. We lived, we've known each other for so long and like some of the stuff we just didn't, we haven't gotten into. I know. I'm honored to call you my brother and I'm just so happy that we got to do this. Thank I'm honored you. to call you my brother. <laughs> All right, and uh, at the end of this podcast, we're going to play your new song. Yes, mm. it it will be played. Um, obviously, this podcast we're recording it. It's not we're not live, so it won't be going out on launch day. But it will be an amazing opportunity for people to hear your new amazing single. Would you like to tell us a little bit about it? This song is called Taste. It's my favorite song I've ever written. It's produced by the amazing Mike Hart. Um, I it was born in a car. I like wrote it on Snapchat. Because I had a loop playing and I couldn't record audio on voice memo while the loop was playing. So I was like, I had all these ideas that I always get either in the car or the shower. And so I, I wrote like most of the melodies and everything like in, literally in the car and took it to Mike. And like he helped me come up with the chorus and like, ah, it was so good. So I'm very excited that this is out in the world and I feel very good about it. Like living somewhere and like blowing up and like doing something for me. I'm Amazing. Positively manifesting that. Yes. Well, I've actually well. I've heard it. It's an awesome song. So after the outro here, you can you can hear "Taste" by Jay Buck. I make sure you give him a follow. Your tag is at. It's just Jay Buck. Yeah. J B A C H. Jay Buck. All right. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you. Love you.
Thank you for joining us on this episode of Let's Be Honest. Be sure to follow us across social media using the tag Let's Be Honest, the podcast. And tune in next week for a very special episode. Bye. But it got me out of control Oh no So distracted, can't be acting How I'm acting around the people we know What a thing, what a thing Ooh, I just can't function Got me falling in love Oh no Hold me under, don't you wonder If you want it, maybe you should say so Say so Baby, I just want a taste Oh, we're together, ain't nobody do it better When we're on the same page Not another minute, no, I just want to get it Baby, don't make me wait Love when you're naked Baby, I just want to taste it What a thing, what a thing, ooh, I just can't fight it I mean, I could, but I don't Oh no Good God, I'm antsy, baby, can we? I can't help not getting handsy, oh Baby, I just wanna taste Oh, we're together, ain't nobody do it better When we're on the same page Not another minute, no, I just wanna get it Baby, don't make me wait Just wanna taste Ooh.